I got five on it. Hello, I'm your host, Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of the Banaflix podcast. Joining me this week is two newbies to the podcast. Hello, Leo. We've had you on the TV show before. I'm joined by local filmmaker, Leo McGuigan. Hello, everyone. Hi. And making his podcast debut is one of Banaflix's newest contributors, Darren Vincent. Hello. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Not a problem. Right, guys. Um, The first part of this podcast, we're going to have a little talk about some recent news. And I'll, I'll start with you, Darren, as the newbie. What are the things that have caught your eye? Obviously, the big thing that everybody's talking about at the moment is the, the Fox merger. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to have serious implications on the industry as a whole. Um, and also serves up for me being a, a massive fan of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That case, you know, implicate the future plans for that. Um, also, if you, the, as the trailer we talked previously on the show about the uh, end game trailer coming out i think there could be more to this after the merger and it could have been planned so i'm, I'm keen to i'm even more excited now next weeks i feel like i should kind of be more annoyed by it and more for the fact that so many of these so-called beloved franchises we think of like we were talking before be stuff like die hard an alien and i know it definitely has implications in terms of the mcu and i think they're quite keen to get their hands on like the fantastic four which haven't really had great output within fox's back catalog but i am just so indifferent about the whole thing and i don't know why i don't unless there needs to be something come up and get me really annoyed and grumpy i don't know why but leo i know you were kind of getting a bit executed earlier on before we started recording about this whole disney fox merger so so what's your thoughts on it I'm going to admit my ignorance on this. I didn't think that this Disney-Fox merger was was that big a thing. I mean, I thought it was like, you know how Paramount used to be Gulf and Western, then it used <laughs> to be Viacom? I genuinely just thought it was going to be like, oh, Disney's still going to be Disney, but it's going to be owned by... Or sorry, Fox is still going to be Fox, but it's going to be owned by Disney. And that's basically, you know, the way it worked with Lucasfilm or whatever. But I read today that, what, Fox 2000 is, is, yep. is done. And there's a, you know, there's a whole slate of movies that were developed under that you know kind of banner that that are very you know significant to people and stuff i think these are smart people i don't think a merger of this size is mickey something... mouse knows what he's doing <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he, he hasn't really he has a decent track record yeah um in terms of his business you know the business decisions that the house of mouse makes so i i wonder if some of these reactions are maybe just a little bit knee-jerk i mean something tells me that they have not gone into this without like a foolproof plan for what they're mm. gonna for what they're going to do. I also would wonder, though, how much Disney wants to Disneyfy Fox. I just thought Disney was going to be happy to let to let Fox continue to be Fox and just sort of fold it into the family that includes Marvel and includes Lucasfilm and includes all that. So um, corporate ease is maybe just not very... It is a little bit foreign to me, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can honestly say that I haven't read enough about it to feel as concerned as some people I know are. But um, but I'm in- it's interesting that these things are sort of changing and that the likes of Fox 2000 are, are going and stuff. If Fox Searchlight disappears, yeah. I think I think then I'm probably going to have a more visceral reaction. Yeah, well, it's up there. You know, we do have here locally, you know, Sainsbury's and Asda might be joining together. <laughs> so so who knows what? But is that but, true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to go ahead because that, of I kind didn't of even know this was the thing. Yeah, the promise is going to be price cuts if they do merge. So 
you know. First HMV. Oh, I know. In Royal place. Avenue and now this. No, what we have. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe it gives me more places to spend my nectar points. But, but Darren, you're clearly excited about the Fox Disney thing. Well, I think with any of the, the Fox, um, I'm a big comic fan. So, like, certainly any of those films, representations of those characters, are they're always reboots or rehashes. There hasn't been an overall sort of strategy or any sort of schedule to the releases. It's just been... You know, see what works. If it doesn't work, reboot it. Mm. Whereas this merger, I think these guys know what they're doing. And they'll outline maybe next 10 years after this sort of Infinity War type thing is over. Um, and it can only lead to, you know, look at the Infinity War at the minute. Like the great films like the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy came out of nowhere. Mm. Um, you might see something like that pop up with some of the sort of lesser used characters that they never had the license for. Something like that that could be different rather than just the same old. What do you think will be... For you as the as the fan, the ramifications then for something like Deadpool is Mickey gonna like dropping the f bombs? Well, they sort of said that he's the one that they wouldn't touch in this deal. They came out I think today and said something. I didn't read the full article, but they, I think that is one. That... I dare you come so <laughs> come on this podcast so half baked, darn. <laughs> Got to work nine to five, you know. Not good enough. Don't have time for break. Managers on my back, so. But I think you know he can only do that for so long. I think the second Deadpool film. In my opinion, it was his a pants. Yeah, so it's, you, think, you guys think Deadpool two's pants? I've had this discussion with many people because I remember two reviewers. I think it was Gavin Moriarty and Mike McCourt, and they both come out of it and they both said this is just a game changer in comic book movies. And oh, really? I went to see it and I just went, no, it's just. I wasn't a big fan of the first Deadpool. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I if I've said this before, look, I'm I'm 36 and over mental age of about 12 at a, on a good day. But if I want an R-rated comic book movie, give me something like Logan. That's that's mainly thought yeah. because it it treats me as a cinema goer, as a thirty-six-year-old going to watch a comic book movie. Deadpool, for all its kind of effing and jeffing, and kind of the R the the, the big and up the R-rated, it's still a comic book movie for a twelve-a audience, mm-hmm. just with a bit more you know effing and jeffing. And then you see them do the kind of the no matter what they can they want to want to call it that cynical move before christmas when they recut it as a 12a to get just more money <laughs> so what do you so you think logan i know we're like getting a little bit off do you think I logan think was a game changer for comic book movies yes i really like logan too yes. but i really liked I, I like deadpool too as well particularly the black and white version of logan which is just awesome haven't seen the black and white version yet. i would recommend it i the first time i saw logan was when it was out on blu-ray and i was gonna watch the black and white version first but someone told me that wasn't a very good idea, and to start with the color version. Yeah. So, and I did, and it was really good. No, you weren't. I, so you weren't a fan of Deadpool. Wasn't too. a fan of Deadpool. I, to be honest, I only really watched the sequel recently. Like I think it was over the weekend. There, I watched it, and I kind of wish I didn't actually bother. Um, and it's as you said about the, your reviewers out watching it and get, taking the hot take of it. It's probably one of those movies where if you're in a, a packed cinema and there's people laughing at you know mm-hmm. certain scenes, you'll come out thinking that was great. The, the audience loved it. I should have. I, I like that. Do I like that? They liked it. Watching it in your own or... You, know, you don't have again, that existential that crisis. Extra, and that's... You're thinking about it more and you're starting to see the jokes are wearing thin. That, that's just my opinion. Leo is ready to point somebody here, so I'll let him... I'm like an objective, semi-passive comic book movie watcher. I like them. I like most of them a lot, but I'm not a... I'm not a hardcore kind of aficionado. So I just enjoyed it. I saw it, like, I think maybe two or three times when it was out in the cinema. I really, I know. you. How many times did you see it? Once. Okay. Once. Okay. I seen it. Um, my lovely, well, fiance, now wife, 
went to see it and she didn't like it at all. And I, I will say, look, I will sit and defend it in the fact that there are some really genuinely funny sequences in it, and it continues to be the the film that best uses the, the post credit. It knows what it wants to do with the post credit. It wants to have fun with them, and it doesn't take itself seriously, and it doesn't get get bowed down with with fan expectations and worrying about continuity. I would counter that though. Spider-Man: Homecoming has the best use of the post credits. Okay, I'll give you that. Right? I'll give you that. It's on par. It's on par. I always get a sense this podcast gets bogged down talking about stuff about MCU. So let's move on to something completely different. Leo, I know you're really excited. We saw the trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood dropping Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. So are you excited? Has this trailer whet your appetite for the film later this year? I've been really excited about this from, from day one. There's so much about it that I've been interested in and even seeing these kind of promotional stills that came out over the course of the last few months. And then finally, you know, the combination of seeing that first trailer it's really interesting though people are calling it you know tarantino's manson movie and stuff and there are i'm excited because there's so much that i think people are maybe speculating about this movie that aren't that is there's so much that people are speculating on that isn't probably I think when you have true. sharon tate involved in your film well, the sharon tate character there is that automatic association so yeah it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with it. I'm interested. I think it's going to be his least violent film. And I know that sounds insane. But, you know, when he released that first statement about the movie ahead of production where he said, you know, I've been writing this movie for five years. I've lived in Los Angeles my whole life. It really does feel a little bit like it's the closest thing we're ever going to get to, like, you know, a Tarantino cinema parody. So it mm. feels like he, or a Tarantino Roma, you know, it feels like he's almost going to be vicariously living, you know, his childhood through this, the LA that he grew up seeing and stuff. So I think there's actually going to be maybe a lot more going on in it that's not that typical Tarantinoian, you know, violence and, and madness that everybody kind of knows and most people uh, love. Um, I have heard one or two people who've seen that teaser this week go, yeah, it doesn't tell us anything about what's going on in the movie and my that counter good that, yeah my counterpoint to that has been that's kind of it's a teaser that's kind of the point of a teaser mm-hmm. it's kind of like you're meant to see what the mood of the movie is going to be like what the feel of the movie is going to be like the only thing on a on a personal level that i was a little bit like no with the with the teaser was there's just such an impressive lineup of actors in this movie that I would have gotten a kick out of seeing Al Pacino in that trailer or a little bit more of Timothy Oliphant in that trailer or, you know, uh, you know, there's just so many people in the movie that uh, aren't in the trailer yet. And that's fine because the movie's, you know, it's a teaser and the movie's coming out in another couple months. But um, I loved it. I think it, I thought it did everything that it needed to do perfectly. And I know people were underwhelmed by the posters and stuff, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I don't know. I thought the teaser kind of made up for any disappointment that people felt in the first two days when we got the, the we got the Brad and Leo poster first, and then we got the Margot Charantia mm-hmm. poster. So, yeah, and and by all accounts, it's going to be very respectful to her legacy as well. I think her sister was on set and stuff when they were shooting. So, I'm excited. I'm more interested in it than what I thought I would be, and it's nothing to do with the whole Manson Association. I am intrigued as to, as to see how he handles that. Because sometimes Quentin can be as subtle as a brick through the window in terms of things and how he handles sensitive issues. But I, if I'm honest, you know, it's the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. If I'm honest, he hasn't done anything really that interested me since Jackie Brown. And I think he's a director that is is playing at his own shtick. So I'm kind of hoping, I know you could look at it and say it's the first film post-Weinstein. 
and it's a film, you know, now a different production company. Will they set out different uh, limitations and what he can and can't do? No, Quentin, you can't show up and rock an Australian accent. You can't do one, so you can't be in your own film. If you're going to do it, just be Quentin Tarantino. But also, you know, and I, know, and I, I never like bringing the Me Too and Time's Up campaign in, into things just for the sake of it, but I mean, he was implicated within that in terms of the context of the whole stuff with Uma Thurman and the making of Kill Bill, a film that was on face value, we look back five years ago, was a film was all about female empowerment and would feel like it's right now on the zeitgeist. But now you look at the context, you, you can't put that film within the kind of uh, the female empowerment kind of thing because of the fate of stuff that involved that, that with Quentin and forcing Uma Thurman into the car, into that sequence. But I'm interested because I want to see Quentin out of his comfort zone and doing stuff that interests me. And we're going to be talking about in a, in a minute in the second part of the show with, with Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele right now is a, is a director that interests me, has interest in things to say, and Quentin just hasn't interested me. And I, I will come back to you, Leo, but just kind of your thoughts, Dark. Well, I have... Uh, my my interest in this film is the statement he's going to make with it. If it's going to be focused on the Sharon Tate murder and the, you know, the Manson family, is that going to show the vulnerability of like modern-day Hollywood, mm-hmm. sort of reflected in like sort of that L.A. that Tarantino knew growing up, or... Is it gonna just be some sort of, you know, like they like they had in Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, where you see, oh, that guy's David Bowie, oh, he was there at the time, or you know, there's Bruce Lee, oh yeah, and then you know, I hope it's not gonna sort of be an homage to sort of old stars that they've just got new stars into play, and you know, there's a story going on about it. And also, um, you said nothing has interested you since Jackie Brown, and my fear as well is that they're gonna do like a something will happen that those two main characters, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, will have some influence on those murders to maybe as a get-rich scheme, mm-hmm. and it'll be a complete, you know, like locking Hitler in a cinema and cl- locking <laughs> the doors in glory. It's one of those type things where it's all teehee and funny, but you come away from, from it feeling very cheated, like it, you believed it up until a certain point. So I, I hope it just is in, you know, within the realms of possibility as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Darren. I'm going to come back to you, Leo, because I know you're a Quentin fan, and I I, I know I sound like I'm not. I just get a sense, and it's it's just my honest gut. He's been indulged for too long. Yeah, uh, no. I think he's been indulged by the Weinstein's because you made us a shitload of money, and stuff like Kill Bill, and then we had Inglorious Bastards, and then we have um, Django. Well, Django Unchained, I like probably would say is probably the of all his films has interested me the most, particularly because we have Leo, and I think. That his Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in Django is probably one of my favorite of 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 Leo for quite some time, and I, I want to see him play. I think he's playing a, very much a different kind of character here within the context of of his of Quentin's latest film, but uh, he's been indulged, and I think I'm hoping now that with a different production company, different team around him, that whilst you know Quentin, you're a talent and you're a filmmaker, and we know what you do, you know what you you do best, but. I just hope that he's not going to be told, given part blanche and said, look, just go and do it. If you want to make your film three and a half hours, go do it, Quentin. No, it needs to be, you know, two and a half hours tops, two hours tops, Quentin. Mm. And, you know, someone always, I always say, I know it's a thing Mark Kermode says, but someone needs to go through his films and with a chainsaw and edit it down. That's just me. That's that's just my little kind of, I, I, I am a Quentin fan, but I don't think, I think he's been working within himself for a while. 
Well, I think I think he is going to be given carte blanche to do whatever. I actually think that was the kind of the thing that sealed the deal with all. I mean, when he was going out to all the different studios to decide post Weinstein, post Miramax, you know, where he was going to land, his conditions were he wanted something like first dollar gross and he wanted final cut. So, I mean, he will have that privilege, I do think. I think there's obviously going to be a parameter within that, which is, like you say, don't make the thing three and a half hours long. Don't make the thing four hours long. Don't show up with an Australian um, accent. <laughs> but I do agree with both of you. I hope that yeah. it's reined in to a certain degree as well. I hope that this doesn't end up some sort of like alternative timeline of, of history when it comes to what happened with, you know, Sharon Tate and the Monster Murders. But I genuinely don't believe it's going to be that. I, I think, think he's be. far too smart for that. And I understand he rewrote history with Inglorious. I understand he rewrote history with Django. Um, there's just some inkling inside of me that tells me he just, I think he knows it would be harder for him to get away with that here. And I don't think that's even the story he's interested in telling. I really don't. I think, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea how the guy's brain works, but I just have this weird feeling that it's going to be more, I think it's going to be more contemplative than anybody is expecting. I think it's going to be maybe the words low-key and Quentin Tarantino are... They don't go together. No, they're oxymoronic. But I do think it might be... I think a lot of people will be quite surprised. Well, we're going to have to wait and see. I think it has its world premiere at Cannes, and then I think it's in yeah. August. It's out later this year. So we'll have to wait and see. But we don't have to wait until August until the Belfast Film Festival. That will be around in April. Leo, we'll have you on the show, so I thought this would be too much of an opportunity not to talk to you about The Invention, which I know was screening at the Shorts Film Festival's competition. That's on the Saturday the 13th of April. I know you're in programme four, so you're in the last slot of the four slots. So tell us a little bit about The Invention and its road to, to where we are now towards the Belfast Film Festival. The Invention is, it's basically, you know, it's a short film. It's a, it's a comedy drama and it's actually inspired by a true story from my dad's childhood. Um, and it centers on a, a young a young boy about 10 years old in 1960s Belfast who basically inadvertently comes of age when he realizes that he has to come up with a plan to save his, uh, to save his, his dad, who's very, very kind but very troubled. And his dad has gotten himself into a bit of hot water with a local gangster who's played brilliantly by Frankie McCafferty. Um, and yeah, so the movie, it's it's kind of, uh, it's true with some embellishments. Um, it involves uh, poker and uh, bacon and tapestry needles. I'm really excited to be playing in the festival. I think what I'm most excited about is the fact that um, I'm playing with so many people that, that that are close personal friends that I love. Like, I mean, Aiden has a movie playing in the festival this year with with uh, one new friend, and Margaret has a movie playing with Finest Shakespeare, and other friends of mine like Dominic Kern, he has his movie playing, her very own. So I'm really, really excited for the festival this year for that reason. It's so much fun to bring it, to bring the invention home, but it's also so much fun to kind of screen it alongside so many other mm -hmm. great great movies that are being made so it's a lot of fun I'm really really excited and the festival uh, on the whole this year looks really exciting i've seen the invention and i'm a, I'm a big fan of it i know you've talked to me about it for for quite oh, some thanks, time man. and uh, i'm looking forward to see it again as part of the festival and as you've mentioned there's a few other fantastic shorts there so i know darren you're chomping a bit to kind of say some of your own highlights so what are the things that have caught your eye within the festival program well there's quite a few um going on at the minute it's not you know for me the festival is not just about the upcoming stuff that's you know everyone like leo has been so very yeah what you're uh, saying enough about leo 
No, I'm saying that there's there's other films as well, which I, I love every year, catching up, you know, films that I maybe hadn't seen in a while. So I'm really looking forward to the likes of Fight Club, there's Office Space as well. And then there's different th- shows as well, like uh, Springsteen on stage at the Black Box and Frasier as well. So th- those nights look very good to catch up with other fans and, you know, reminisce about sort of concerts or shows you've watched. And it's not just films as well. So it's a real sense of community through that. And that would also sort of foster the the spirit of the, the filmmaking as well. So it it's a really good event. Yeah, Leo, there's much more than your film on. That's all. That's what Darren's trying to nicely say. Yeah, yeah. It's not all about the invention. And with that, guys, we shall move on to part two of the podcast. Right. So it's part two of the podcast, and this is where we get down to doing what any movie review podcast should do, and that is review some movies. So we're here at the Odeon Belfast. We're just out of a screening of Us, latest film from Jordan Peele, who previously directed Get Out, and is going to be spearheading the new Twilight Zone TV series. Leo, as the man who who made Braxton, you're the horror person. You've got the bit of horror pedigree there. So... Before we get into discussing the film, we're going to play a clip. But before we even do that, set us up. What is it all about? Uh, well, Us centers on a uh, lead character played by Lupita Nyong'o, who um, at the beginning of the film, it's established, uh, has some degree of trauma uh, in her childhood. The movie opens with a very suspenseful, terrifying uh, sort of uh, flashback sequence. Um, we meet her with her husband and a young family. Um, they have gone to uh, a house... Uh, near the beach and um, sooner rather than later she begins to realize that the demons from her past are slowly but surely beginning to infiltrate her future i like what you did there let's play a clip of us you know how sometimes things line up yeah you know like coincidences since we've been here they've been happening more and more i think like it means like she's getting closer who the mirror girl you don't believe me I, I i i do i do i'm i'm processing okay i just can't believe you kept all this inside for so long you know I'm here, right? So that's a clip of the film. Leo, lead the way. We don't want to get into spoilers. It's not a spoiler cast, but what's your initial thoughts? And I know it's a we're straight out of the screen, and so it's kind of an almost it's almost an instant reaction. But but what's your thoughts? I I really really liked it. I really liked it. Um, I thought uh, I was genuinely, and we actually just talked about this as we were walking in here to get to get set up. You said that you didn't. Well, I don't want to get into your review before you've had a chance to talk about it, but we were just talking about this whole thing of, you know, what it takes to make a scurry movie, you know, in 2019. Like, how can you actually make an audience feel scared? Um, I genuinely did feel scared watching this movie. There was a sequence at the beginning that I just found incredibly suspenseful. Um, I know we were both, at, uh, Darren and I, at the beginning, just a little bit like, I don't like where this is going. And if Darren the rest doesn't of... like horror films, though. So... No, no. I don't. no. I don't. Um, so I was really genuinely find myself quite quite unsettled by it at, at parts. Um, I loved uh, I loved how funny it was. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a movie that takes itself seriously in the right points. And then just when it's on the verge of taking itself too seriously, it brings you, it dies you right back in with that sort of trademark Jordan Peele wit. Um, I thought the dynamic between the family was really great. I really believed them as this loving, you know, close-knit um, group. Uh, performances I just thought were were stellar as well. Um, no, I, I really, I really liked it. Um, 
I haven't decided yet where, I mean, I guess in many ways you shouldn't, but I do think on a visceral level, there were parts where I was really enjoying it even more than, than Get Out. You know, the first time I saw that movie, because I was really, really into that movie as well. But uh, there was just something about the the flow of this one as well. Because it becomes a chase movie yeah. in that second act, without spoiling too much, for, for such a long period of time. Um, where it's just one relentless beat after another. So, um, ultimate verdict so far, instinctive reaction, really liked it, really impressed, quite surprised. Um, and we'll see it again. Yeah, I'm I'm probably in the same camp of, as you, Leo. I really like this. I, I genuinely didn't know what it was in for and we were talking earlier on about trailers not giving too too much away i don't think the trailers for for us gives a lot away i, I think it it gives the the central premise of, of doppelganger so it's enough to kind of to bring that into the the podcast discussion and i mean we can come back to you leo if you want to talk more about that i i said earlier on we were talking about quentin that jordan peele is a director and writer that that interests me and he does interesting things get out I know people have their reservations with, but I, I thought it was a very slick, well-made horror film. And coming back to that that central thing where it's not a film like Hereditary that, that gets under your skin and stays there and lingers. It's not like a film like A Quiet Place. It is a film that I think you want to go away and afterwards and think about and talk about. When I think that's an that's a good thing in its own self. Jordan Peele, I'm, I'm a big fan. He says intelligent things about horror. When you, you listen to people like John Carpenter and George Romero, and they say that horror films can be reflections on society, and you can use that genre to do interesting things and tell interesting stories. That doesn't mean necessarily I do. I think the world's going to descend into doppelgangers, because I don't really know if I had a doppelganger. I think it'd be too lazy to come and try and kill me with scissors, but that's just that's going for a, another segue that we don't need to go. Like Jordan Peele, he wears his politics and the kind of analogies that he weaves into his narrative. He wears them on his sleeves, and they're quite open about it. And I think that's good. I don't. I don't have a problem. With it. I don't think you need to be subtle, and I don't think you have to shy behind things. He's quite honest and, and upfront about things, and I, I, there was a point where I thought I, the film was going to maybe lose me, and then it didn't. It reminded me at times of stuff like Funny Games, and I think you can't do a home invasion film because you, de- as you say, it descends into a chase movie, but there's a definite home invasion vibe. And you oh, can't, yeah. you can't have a home invasion film with a house and there being a speedboat without thinking of Funny Games, and I, I don't think it's maybe as kind of on the knuckle as something like Funny Games. I still have that reservation where I think I don't think if you're if you want to be scared if you want to sit there and feel uncomfortable and squirm you see i have to be honest and say i didn't have that reaction to the film but that didn't mean i didn't enjoy it if that makes sense i i sat there and said i i get what you're trying to say i think you're you're being quite clever and i know i mentioned there the kind of the whole thing with the twilight zone it did at times feel like a an overly long episode of the twilight zone yeah. i do think the film at two hours long is a little baggy i think maybe it could be in around the hour 40 minute but but that's just me and it makes great use out of you know it's in the trailer so it's not a spoiler to say it makes great use of that i got five on it maybe a little too much but i'm, I'm actually going to come back to that but darren i've rambled on that's kind of what i do in the podcast uh, what's your thoughts as you touched on earlier i'm not a, a big fan of horror movies um you know hands up in the air here i, I never seen get out either so i was coming in this completely blind in terms of jordan peele's direction and and sort of style of humor as well in terms of on screen so I really, really enjoyed it. I was squirming for the whole... You didn't leave. I didn't leave. Well, you did leave. You had to go to the toilet. I went to the toilet. But I Not that and... I was stalking you and watching you go into the toilet <laughs> or anything like that. Went and sorted myself out. I actually was in the... I went to the toilet and then I 
was washing my hands and I looked up and caught my reflection and then decided just to continue washing my hands and get back to the screen. But uh, no, it was really good. Um, in terms of the direction as well, I, this sort of first half an hour, the hour of film, he was very good at, there's a there's a very subtle message at the start about there being like tunnels involved and you just knew that it was building to some sort of claustrophobic mm. family you know siege how, like a, the house with funny really, rabbits yeah with funny rabbits so from that it was very good and even in uh, the beach scenes where you're it's open and you know you feel like you're safe you're not safe and i'd seen that truly um for midsummer the other week where it was it's a film completely out in the open and sunny and it's still terrifying so i was curious to see how it was going to play out like that and when especially with the sort of bright colors on the beach uh contrasted to the house scenes where it's it's in the dark most of the time mm. you, you're not safe you're, you're not safe and i really enjoyed it and I, I fully agree the film could have been maybe an hour and a half an hour and 40 um it does dither on a bit at the end but i wasn't coming away being saying that was ruining the film for me it was, it was great yeah i think you will sometimes get that with writer directors i think they they will they will be very precious about every little bit of dialogue and every scene and refuse to kind of cut here or concede things there i do think there's there's there is a length issue it's it's maybe not as breezy as get out was and i think at times it does stop and stop it does stop and ponder like the, there is there is sequences where they're kind of this this family is literally just pausing to watch tv and you kind of feel like you could lose that here there another but you know those are these are small niggles i i, I will say this i mean i'm not surprised at all lapita and yongo is just excellent in this because she has well, most of the cast, they have that challenge. They have to play two roles in this. Yeah. And I think whilst others are much more understated, um, she's just excellent in that role. And I know she kind of talked about then being a, a real challenge for her as an actress. But, you know, I, you know, with her in this kind of red-dressed, scissor-wielding alter ego, um, it's just a fantastic performance. And she oozes menace throughout it. And... Yeah. I'm not surprised. She's an Oscar-winning actress. She's she she is excellent. I've never seen her put a, a step wrong. You know, she's she's great even when she's in a trashy Liam Neeson film. I'm a big fan of her anyway, so I'm not surprised at all to see her being excellent. And even Elizabeth Moss, who I will pretty much watch in anything as well. It's a clever film. It's it's well made. I wanted to come back to one thing, and I mentioned the whole kind of I got five on it because it's it's in the trailer. And one thing I love about that is how kind of the beats match the song, and we see that again near the end of this film it's and i don't want to go into specifics how they kind of can use a track to match the beats now i know you haven't seen captain marvel yet leo and uh, i just want to come to you darren because there is a sequence and we talked about this in the previous podcast mm -hmm. by captain marvel where there is the big track of i'm just a girl and yeah. we can see what the filmmakers were trying to do but the beats don't match the, the what's acting what's on screen that little sequence with i got five in this it you know boom everything matches up it's perfect it's by a director who knows what he's doing knows what he's trying to do what's well, cap marvel it's it's you can see what they're trying to do but it just doesn't work it doesn't work and i'm I'm gonna re reference back to the previous directors we spoke on on the podcast earlier so the likes of james gunn uh, tarantino are very good at selecting songs for particular scenes in their films mm -hmm. um i know quentin tarantino has a, a story i won't go into detail about the gimp scene in pulp fiction he had to be very specific on that and even on the the ear cutting scene in reservoir dogs as well and um, james gunn as well for selecting those sort of songs that you know like said bowie um sort of off-beaten bowie songs for like showing the universe for showing that 
excellent choices, whereas Captain Marvel just didn't really, with that particular song and that, that time of the film, it just, there's a lot of people rolling their eyes. That's what, that's what I felt in screen. People were going, oh, yeah, this is this is happening. No, well, I, I, do, yeah. want, I do want to come back and say, like, I remember when it, it was on the nose and I kind of went, yeah. right, okay, this is going to, this could potentially be excellent, but it's when, mm-hmm. I think it's when it, the edit, I, I don't know whether it's been lost in the edit or whether it's been lost in the concept, it just, the beats of the song don't match the yeah. beats of the action. And I think in yeah. that sequence that, you know, bringing it back to us, that sequence, it's a kind of a kind of choreographed kind of dance, they're dance fighting yeah. from, to, to, to reference Zoolander, it's just choreographed to perfection. Mm-hmm. And I think it's by a director who, I come back to it, knows what they're doing, knows what he wants to do, and I'm really impressed. I really want to watch it again so I can kind of let it sink in. And it's not to say that the allegory and all the kind of the mysticism is, is lost in me. I just want to sit back and be able to appreciate it and sit back and just enjoy things. But I want to come back, Leo. As someone who I mentioned at the start of this is has made a horror film, is a horror fan. It's that central idea. Do you think for a horror film, you know, we would criticize a comedy film? If there was enough laughs, I don't think this is. Now you clearly have had a different because you find yourself uneasy. Oh yeah, at times. yeah. I mean, I had a similar experience at Darren where I went to the toilet and then I came back and it was a dimly lit cinema and someone walked towards me to leave as I was coming back in and they were wearing a similar hoodie to yeah. to the one I'm wearing right now. I shit myself, like I genuinely was terrified. So it did. I mean, it had a. And when you see the movie, you'll understand why that was yeah. terrifying. It will have, it will have that. I mean, it had that effect on me, and I think it will have that effect on audiences. Would you not have been more creeped out if you came back to your seat and Darren and I were sitting in red, just with a pair of scissors each hand? <laughs> if there, yeah, and then there were two people in front of you who were the real you. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. Not yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no. Um, I going back to what you said there, though, a second ago about you know we judge a comedy movie if it's not funny. Mm. I think what you're basically saying is should we judge a horror movie if it's not scary? But yeah. I guess funny is subjective in the same way horror is subjective. I mean, mm-hmm. no, I don't think many critics liked The Hangover Part 2. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of fans... I certainly didn't. I know a lot of fans didn't like The Hangover Part 2, but a lot of them also did. Is so, this, Is this your long-winded way of trying to say you really like The Hangover Part 2, Leo? I think accusing me of being long-winded is the pot calling the kettle black yeah. and then some. Ooh. But um, I just think comedy is subjective. I think Go on, admit it. You like The Hangover 2, Leo. Say it. No, we're, I, we're I, all re- I really didn't like The Hangover 2. I'm using The Hangover 2 as an illustration yeah. of my point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think horror is subjective. I think comedy is, uh, is subjective. So... It's a very interesting point, though. It is an interesting debate um, that I think uh, would be really, really fun to have with 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 hardcore horror fans as well mm-hmm. and hardcore comedy fans. Um, but I ultimately do think it's subjective. Um, and and you know it it didn't. Did you did it scare you ever? Were you ever scared in us at all? No. Wow. Okay. And I, I can't say I was scared. I can maybe I just a case that maybe just watch too many horror films and I can see where the inflection points I can see where the reference points are there and I can see what it's playing with and toying with that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy myself when I was watching that I kind of yeah. I took it as more of a sci-fi horror than a I, I took I'll be honest I, I took this as more as a two-hour episode of the Twilight Zone and I have no problem in watching that I love the concept of it I love the execution of it I love the analogy that it's trying to to say and how it's kind of bringing in the socioeconomic and kind of the the kind of oppression uh, the white society over black society and black culture and there's a lot of that all in there and you would expect that with Jordan Peele stuff I maybe didn't have the moment like with Get Out and I know you haven't seen it Darren mm-hmm. 
the the moment in the finale mm. of Get Out where I'll I'll not go into spoilers. Although if I spoiled it off air, so there's not much point. <laughs> um, I'll not go into spoilers because in the podcast, there's a point in Get Out where you you suddenly realize this film has worked, and it's right. it's kind of like the it's. I know the been, point you're talking about. You really, told me about it. It's been really, su- it's really subtle in its execution, but it's a moment you suddenly realize, boom, this film has actually worked, and you've succeeded in making me feel like a, a black man growing up in American society. You've made me feel like that, right? I yeah. get that completely. I don't think this film had that, but that's not a criticism. I can, I can see people. I know where we're recording here. There was people who walked out of the screening who said, what a load of shite. And I can completely get that. And, you know, maybe that's down to the Conjuring generation, the kind of the, the Annabelle generation who want jump scares, jump scares. And there is jump scares in this. Mm-hmm. There, there's, yeah. there's, there's one or two. There's definitely one I can definitely think of as a very kind of classic jump scare where the composer is the, is sure. the, is the composer, yeah. is the person scaring you, not what's going on screen. Yeah. But I, I, I have no problem with that. I think. Jim McMorrow, you know, the nicest man in, in Belfast. I think we, we've talked about this before, where I think films like The Exorcist, they won't happen anymore because people and audiences don't seem to want to play the long game. This is a film that sits and says, if you're prepared to sit down for and play the long game, you will get a reward. Well, just out of pure yeah. curiosity, because I'm interested, though, based on the point you said, were you, um, did Hereditary scare you? Were you ever scared during a movie like that? Was I scared in Hereditary? No. I was, was I uneased, unnerved by it? Yes. Right. So, I mean, but, so that is kind of... Well, well, the thing is, without going into spoiler, and I know we have done a spoiler cast on Hereditary, I would say this, Hereditary really worked for me. Have you seen Hereditary? I haven't. Oh, you don't of like course, so, but yeah. We're, we're going we're gonna to get you in. Yeah, there's, there's people who've done this podcast, Darren, who don't do, do um, horror films, and we force them. They, they... <laughs> you liked Hereditary, though, Jim, didn't you? Yeah, you liked I, it I, quite liked, a lot. I liked Her- Hereditary. When I first saw it, I was, came out of it quite cold and said, right, right. it's... It's this idea, and I can see what they're trying to do. And I went to myself going, well, Kill List did something similar on probably a fraction of the budget and did it much better. When I watched Redditry the second time, I came back to it and I said, I really enjoyed this film because it's basically, in the analogy is, it's the Venus flytrap film. And you're watching this family. From the moment those credits start in Hereditary, there's nothing that family can do to stop what's unfolds without going into spoilers you you're watching a plan that has been executed to perfection play out in front of you and there's nothing that family can do from the minute go there's there's one or two maybe kind of deviations things they could do differently look at the mat look at the mat if you don't see something wrong with the mat you're not trying that's going to be lost if you haven't seen hereditary but what i love about it so much is you're just watching the execution of as, as i come back to that analogy you're watching the, the fly has fallen into the venus fly trap it is closed over. There's nothing they could do. Bad things are going to happen to that family. In the same way with this, you can you can kind of see that everything has been planned and executed. And the, again, yeah. it's that idea. I mean, there is a part of this, which is like going into spoilers, there is part of this where there is a plan that has been executed to perfection. That is a big part of this film. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really that's interesting though that I really liked what you said there about hereditary. And I think that the thing that that shows is that you kind of, I think do you are you kind of very liberal with your expectations in that you don't you don't expect to be scared by a horror film every time but if you're unnerved by it or if it's like you said which I think is the perfect way to sum up us if it's like a really long Twilight Zone episode yeah. you're still going to enjoy it if it unnerves you you're still going to enjoy it if it's like a long Twilight Zone episode and maybe the people who were coming out going oh load of shite or whatever just went in with very specific expectations you know maybe it's, i think that that was really interesting i think there's there's audiences that just want to go and be jump scared jump scared and if you want that you know as i've said it before it's the ghost train of a movie it's right and the problem is when you've ridden the ghost train five six times it's not scary anymore 
for me, uh, not being a horror fan, I at the start of this sort of first hour of us, I was on edge. I was very there were scenes where it was quite tense, especially the claustrophobic scenes in the house in particular. Um, there's a hall of mirror scenes at the very start, which sort of sets the pace for the first hour. Are of you the freaked film. out by mirrors? You've already said you were freaked out. I, in I the don't toilets. like when there's four or five of them staring back at me. But yeah, but my, my, I'm do you okay get more freaked out by loads of mirrors, or do you get freaked out by mirrors that kind of change your body shape? Does that freak you out more, get, or just mirrors? If, when mirrors don't move, when you move, that's, 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 that's those aren't mirrors. Yeah, they're not mirrors. <laughs> that's uh, just someone wearing a darn mask. <laughs> yeah, God help them. But um. From that, I think because we're being very political and looking yep. at Jordan Peele's films and what he wants to show us, I think that second half, once you once it, you start to open up and see the the message that he's trying to portray, you kind of don't get scared. You start to maybe step aside and, and see the bigger picture of everything. And yeah. I don't know if that's something he's trying to do with that, thinking, oh. Well, this has been, yeah. he said before famously about Get Out, it's not a horror film, it's real life. And I get that. I get where he's coming from. It's a case of Jordan Peele and I and probably... Jordan Peele and, and both of you come from very different places. There's things we can relate to, but there's things that, that his own life experiences that he's brought in. And I come back to that point I made with uh, with Get Out. There is a moment in that film where it suddenly succeeds in giving you that out-of-body experience and you suddenly realise, I get it. I get it yeah. now. I don't think this film has that same... Well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if I missed something from watching. I don't think this film has that same kind of moment. Well, you haven't seen Get Out, but I know you you have, mm. Lou. That's interesting. I mean, I didn't have the moment that you had in, in, in Get Out, mm. admittedly, but the idea that is there ever a moment in Us where you kind of are vicariously living, like, you know, one of the characters and you kind of... It, you there's a moment where it just you get it and you get what it is it's trying to do. I, I didn't have that. And I guess it's... I guess also chief among the reasons is... I would wonder, and I guess this is a conversation for another podcast where we have six hours. Yeah. I would wonder, I mean, Get Out was so, it was very, very clear that he had an important, mm-hmm. um, very well-crafted political statement to make through through that film. Um, I don't know if that's going on as much here. I don't know if us, I mean, obviously there's undertones yeah. and obviously the allegory, as we both said, yeah. isn't trying to be very subtle. It's not trying to make you look for it. But I don't know that it's as overtly, you know, real life for example as, yeah. as get out i think um i i think it's a little bit more nuanced and i think it's embracing the kind of twilight zone thing yeah. a little bit more so um i i didn't have a moment like that in um in in us to be to be fair but i do think your point's interesting though that, that you had that moment in get out and you didn't have it in this and again you're not saying that the movie that us lives or dies by that moment yeah. but it's just it's just different i will say two movies in jordan peele knows how to do an opening title sequence i mean yes. get out and us great opening title sequences he's just a filmmaker that really interests me and i want to see where he is down the line in three four films and this could be the potential of being someone and i'm looking with my old fart head on the way i look at someone like john carpenter where i sit and go i i look at your back catalog and i look at the, the interesting things you wanted to say within your heart and the subtext that were there i want to see that as a generation growing up are looking at someone like jordan peele and kind mm-hmm. of saying maybe Look yeah. in the way we think about John Carpenter, where you're sitting in a room with someone go, oh, I don't want to be chatting to someone who's 30-something and loves John Carpenter. And maybe 20, 30 <laughs> years, someone going on about, oh, I don't want to be Jordan talking Peele. to someone who's sitting going on about how Jordan Peele and how great yeah. he is. Interesting I, his work as a producer too, though. I mean, mm-hmm. he had a massive hand in Black Klansman last year as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so, and he's doing, has he got a Twilight Zone reboot coming mm-hmm. on? Yeah, yeah, he has indeed, yeah. Do you see the trailer for that? Yes. I, I get a sense, guys, we could talk a lot longer about this. And as I say, Jordan Peele is a filmmaker. I'm really 
interested to see where he goes to film here because it interests me darren i know you said at the outset you're not a horror fan so has this intrigued you to venture into his get out back catalog or maybe even venture more into horror well we'll we'll take it baby steps at the time so well (laughs) we'll go with get out first and then see how we go with that well i'm glad to see that we've intrigued you to to look into get out and that pretty much brings this little bit of the podcast to an end Right, guys, uh, we're going to wrap up with the, the part three, and we're going to go with a new little feature in the podcast. It's our Anne, finally. It's time for something a little bit silly. I'm going to bring back some memories. I don't know. I was maybe showing my age earlier when we were talking about this and kind of the, the good old days of Trevor McDonald and the 10 o'clock news, and it always finished in something a little bit lighthearted. So in future, we will be asking Twitter and Facebook and Instagram for inspiration for this, but I thought I would get the ball rolling on this. So I'm just going to ask you both, and, and I'm going to ask you first, Darren, in the spirit of Anne Finley and something silly, I want to know your why and I want to know your method to reason the why you've come to this conclusion. So, would you rather fight 100 Arnold Schwarzenegger-sized Danny DeVitos or 100 Danny DeVito-sized Arnold Schwarzeneggers? Wow. That's, this is my first time on the, the podcast. I never thought I'd be it with a question <laughs> like this. Hard-hitting, I must say. It's, it's actually really... It's funny. It's topical for me because in, in my work, we were having a discussion yesterday. Of, we, we have a guy in work. He's just started and he, um, he comes to us and asks us questions. And I've sort of pitched it to him saying, like, you can only ask me questions if you tell me something interesting okay. <laughs> in exchange. So he came to me yesterday and he calculated how many business cards you would have to stack in order to get a Danny DeVito height. <laughs> and it was something like 38,000 business cards or something. Okay. So I said, great, so we're going to measure everything now in either DeVitos or Schwarzeneggers. So he's become out to be saying like, you know, well, it's two Danny DeVitos wide. You know, like this. So, but thinking about this from a sort of scientific point of view as you should yes because it's life or death here i hope you never interview danny devito <laughs> I, th- I i think i'm going to ask this question to danny devito if i get it if i can ever get it out to ask him yeah. <laughs> i would rather fight the hundred danny devito the hundred arnold sized dannys right because arnold is a very muscular and sort of strong man right and I'm imagining that strength is actually just carrying a lot of his weight. So if if you shrink him down, he's going to have that same strength, but none of the baggage, right? And you've got a hundred of them to keep up with. Where Danny DeVito, not in the best shape, no no harm, you know, hope hope this doesn't go out before anything happens to him. But touch wood. Oh my God. You know, this could be, you know, this could be on the news, but you... You sort of blow him up to twice the size. He's not going to be in. in he's am, not gonna am I the only person <laughs> thinking of uh, Honey? I blew up the baby at that point. <laughs> so he's gonna he's gonna have the age going against him. He has no strength, and now he's got that extra weight and baggage. So definitely the 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 Arnold size Danny's anytime. <laughs> I'd take them. I probably I'm, wouldn't win, but. Yeah, I'm pleased with you. It, it doesn't matter whether you you win or lose. It's the, yeah. you know it's the taking part, Leo. The same question to you. I would fight a hundred uh, Arnold-sized Dannys. That's what you went for. Yeah, yeah I would do that as well because it just seems like. Are you just going to steal his exact uh, all his? Hang reasons? on, Arnold-sized Danny-sized Arnolds is what we said. This is right? just yes, so weird. Danny-sized Arnold, 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 so, Arnold so, is... so diminutive in stature, yeah. but they but they have the the frame of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Yeah. I will fight those guys, and I will. My logic uh, is the same as as Darren's because if you think about it. You could probably kick a few of them, like just out of the yeah. way, and that's you done. That's them. That's them. 
done. And then the rest of them, maybe by that stage you're left with, I don't know, like 88, you know, Danny-sized Arnolds. And then that's you, you know, you you got, you're already 12, you're already 12 down. You're about 12, so, 12 down. What about their down. doppelgangers, though? That oh, would be, you're fucked. <laughs> in the red suits. You're fucked. You're fucked. They'll be all right, they'll just be holding hands across, you know, Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, about, yeah, no, I'm... And what about you, Jim? What would yeah. you say? Jim, what would you say? Because we both know you wanted us to ask this question to you because you've such a dynamite <laughs> answer prepared. I swear to God, I, I, I don't. I just literally sat and think, what would be the stupidest question I could think of in true and spirit of honor? I would have, I'd probably have to go for the crack because you have both went the other way around. I would rather fight a Danny, De- uh, an Arnold Sword. You know, you, you said you would fight a Danny DeVito-sized Arnold Schwarzenegger. Exactly, and that's what Darren said. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to fight a Danny DeVito size Arnold Schwarzenegger. I would I'd rather refuse. fight the tolerance. I'd rather fight. Oh, then, then Jim and I are aligned. Yes. But you, yeah. So I want to fight. They're the size of Danny DeVito, yeah. but they look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And I think that's what you want to do as well. Yeah. You want to fight. They're the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. but they look like Danny DeVito. I'm not thinking I, I want to change my answer. You can't change. It's more complicated <laughs> look, than I've the got to, I've got. <laughs> Let me just bring in from this room here, Dodian. Bring in the Donnie's. <laughs> no, I'd like to change because I think Arnold is all like it's all like glamour muscles. He doesn't know how to fight. He's trained, you know. Yeah. He's got a stunt double for all this stuff. Whereas Danny DeVito has, but Danny know, DeVito, like, I think, would, if Arnold Schwarzenegger listens to banter flicks, you're fucked. <laughs> you see, I, I think Danny DeVito, he would fight straight. Yeah, so that's have, why, yeah, yeah, that's why because Danny DeVito would go, he would go low, and now that he's tall, he Danny could go low. Danny DeVito would fight straight. He would definitely be kind of picking up planks and stuff and hitting you. Prison rules. Yeah, there's yeah. no prison no rules. Okay, genuine question. Going on career and movies they've made, uh, not so much on on physical presence. Who would you be more intimidated to meet? You know, the guy who has been in Taxi and, you know, had a career that spanned, you know, maybe probably five decades, directed some great movies, or The Terminator. Like, in terms of just fanboy and who would you guys be geeking out more to meet? I think I would rather meet Danny DeVito because I, I just get a sense, I, I think I would get a better, a better interview with Danny. I think Arnold would be a bit more standoffish, unless he was a Danny DeVito-sized Arnold. And then it would probably be more interesting. Do you how think Arnold's PR trained, though? I mean, he had to be the, you know, he had to campaign to be the governor, so he clearly knows how to, like, shake your hand, look in your eye, make mm-hmm. you feel like, you know, you're the most important person in the room. Like any person should be able to train to, this is how you shake hands. <laughs> Thank you. Well, no, well, I, I, I don't know, because I think when you, the more you read about Arnold, and particularly when we were talking earlier on about the kind of the, the, the Me Too, Time's Up, and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of baggage with him, which I don't think mm. you get with Danny DeVito. And plus, Danny DeVito was in Matilda. He directed Matilda as well. But uh, you never answered the question, though, Darren. Would you rather meet Danny DeVito, or would you rather meet Arnold? I would, well, I'd probably rather meet Danny DeVito for an easier interview. I think Arnold would be way too intimidating. I think he's a tall man. He's a strong man. He'd be looking down at me the whole time. Not if we fixed it on made him Danny DeVito size. <laughs> okay, but the question was, who would you be more intimidated to meet? Yeah. No, the question was, would you rather fight 100 Arnold Schwarzenegger size <laughs> yeah. Danny DeVitos or 100 Danny DeVito size Arnold Schwarzeneggers? And I think we've answered that. We have yeah. in, in, in droves. In, in as depth and kind of as, as we possibly could be. So all that is really left for me to say is thank you very much, Darren. No problem. Thank you. Thank you very much, Leo. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. Thank you much for the audience for hosting us here. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, don't forget to subscribe and we'll be back next week with another podcast when we'll be talking about Dumbo. But for now, until then, goodbye.